Yo, what up? Welcome to the Wordplay Cafe podcast. I am your host, part one, Tomas J. Stanton, and my co-host, the amazing Jennifer Gastelum, host part two. Host part two. Welcome back. How you doing, Jen? Doing good. Yeah? Yeah. Braving this 400 degree heat. It's hot. Surviving. That's all right. It's all right. That's what, you know, one of the, I came back from lunch today. And I walked in and I said, it's really annoying when people say obvious things, but fuck, it's hot. <laughs> I don't know if you can say the F word on this podcast. Oh, yeah. You could definitely cuss <laughs> for sure. Making an executive decision. Anyways, we are here. Uh, we got to give a shout out to our main squeeze, the Mesa Arts Center, uh, who provides just tons of support for the Wordplay Cafe podcast. Uh, we want to give a shout out. We're in a new location today. Uh, Jen, do you want to talk about where we're at? Yeah, we are at K, which is a place to grow small business right here in downtown Mesa. Um, the wonderful owner, Pamela Slim, invited us into her space to record the podcast today. She's amazing. She's super supportive in every single way. This is just one way that she's stepped up to help us out. So Yeah, shout out to Pam and, uh, and Kay. Uh, we're, we're in the basement. This You can't see this, but this is amazing. <laughs> it is a dope spot. And I was like, yo, we, we, we should record here all the time. So, mm-hmm. so mural, thank you. This mural is Jeff Slim. He's, uh, his handle on Instagram is the All Electric Kitchen, but he does amazing artwork, all the pieces in here. But he's in Phoenix, and he's done a ton of murals in Phoenix too. So yeah, check him yeah. out. Cool, cool. Yeah, so uh, we're very excited. We have uh, an amazing guest today. We have a lot of amazing guests on the Wordplay Cafe podcast because that's the whole point of the podcast is to talk to dope people. But today, uh, I think this is going to be hands down one of my favorite interviews um, because I just think this individual is amazing. Uh, It's funny because a couple months ago, we were chopping it up at a coffee shop. And in my mind, I was like, yo, we should be recording this conversation because there's mad knowledge but anyway we are joined today by the world famous why not what 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 what's up what's good why not chilling thanks for having me would you prefer that that we call you why not or tony um i'll answer to either one i love it i love it but why not okay i just got that why not tony Tony backwards backwards. (laughs) just occurred to me it's clever it's clever it's not smart but it's clever (laughs) <laughs> there's a difference love it man so so for those of you who are not familiar with uh, the world famous why not um this this cat has a long long resume of amazing things um you are the senior vice president of the rock steady crew correct that i mean like i should just we should be done like That's we don't it. even just need to, right we there. don't even need to have a conversation anymore <laughs> you know you know you are official when you are sitting in a basement in Arizona with the senior vice president of the Rocksteady crew, the world famous legendary Rocksteady crew. Um, you recently got your MFA from ASU. Correct. And uh, you travel the world. You just got back from Puerto Rico. Yeah. Puerto Rocksteady. Yeah, we had our sixth year Puerto Rocksteady event. It was dope. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been good. Like every year it gets better and better. So, you yeah. know, this year also with the with all the hurricane reform that, you know, Crazy Legs has been doing. Mm-hmm. Um we we made a pretty big impact you know on the island itself and then just in general like what we're doing out there you know bringing money to the island bringing people and awareness to what's happening um 
it's very fulfilling. I'll just put it that way. So it's unlike any other thing that I usually do. You know, I'm doing a lot of battles sometimes, a lot of competitions, these types of things, teaching classes, which is cool. But like this kind of stuff is what I want to do more of. So it's great. Yeah, that's yeah. what's up, man. Uh, so, so we're going to get into it. Um, one of the, the frameworks for the podcast is we like to talk to interesting people about what they're doing in the moment, but we also Ooh. like to, to kind of get the backstory, where you come from, like who, who made you, you know what I mean? Who and all raised that good you? stuff, who raised you? I think uh. it's amazing when you see these folks at the, the top of their game and you, you're like, you you aren't just you didn't just come out of the womb the the vice president of Rocksteady you know what I right. mean you had to you had to work your way up there and so yeah. so I want to know all of that so let's start about uh, where are you from who made you how'd you get to where you're at okay uh, I was born in Passaic New Jersey and uh, grew up pretty much mainly in New Jersey and then back and forth from Philly. And New York is kind of where I got my start in, I would say, art and music and dance and visual, right? Which is pretty much what I'm very interested in from the beginning. Um, so I had family in both places. I traveled to both cities. And if, you, if you're if you from the East Coast, you know that that's not very far. You know, I realized like when I moved out West and I started talking to people, like they're like, well, where exactly are you at? And I try to tell them, and I'm like, yeah, and I would go to Philly. And they're like, well, where are you? Are you from Philly or are you from Jersey? And I'm like... You know, you can technically be in both places at the same time. It's no more than an hour away, so it's not a big deal in how to get there. Also, we have mass transit, so it's not like you need a car to get around and stuff like that. So it's hard for people sometimes in, a, in other places to fathom that you can get from one place to another so quickly. But I did that a lot when I was young, um, just visiting fam, friends. And then like once I got involved into the hip-hop scene, I would be back and forth pretty often. Um, Philly has a very unique... Uh, hip-hop history and, and of course new york because that's pretty much where it's from right so um anyway so i, I started uh you know doing my thing in jersey what i did was uh, early in the game got into comic books and drawing comic books um how, how old were you at this point oh man super young i'd say about eight nine okay you know looking at comics trying to draw them myself you know i got my hands on some pencils and paper um you know, anything that, that had to do with a visual, I was mostly intrigued by off the bat. Um, in my household, my mother listened to a lot of rock and roll and disco music. Um, she, you know, danced the hustle and Lindy Hop. So she would do that often in front of me and I didn't really know what was going on, but that was a thing. And I would say that that's mainly my introduction. So I used to like really think about what was the initial thing that got me into something like music or art. And I would definitely say comic books. And then my mom is my introduction. That's awesome. Because she's the first person I've seen move, mm -hmm. you know, to music like that. And was, then we was go, mom was mom dope? Mom's dope. Mom's dope. Mom, there's actually if uh, I have some video of her and I wish I can show you on the podcast but i can't <laughs> but i got her around sorry my phone's going off that's cool though it makes it sound like you're busy <laughs> um my mom uh yeah she has a lot of like you know the basic foundation steps that i learned after i learned breaking I, I realized that the hustle and lindy hop were foundations of like some of the steps that we do you know mixed in with salsa and all types of other mm. dances but i was like wow this is dope so when i first saw breaking i felt at home with it because of what my mom was doing. And I was like, oh, I get it. It was done to maybe a little bit di uh, different music at times, but 
when I went to my first breaking event, I heard some of the songs my mom was playing. And I was mm. like, I know what this is, you know. But then once I saw it on the ground is when I was like, wait, what's that? You know, and I got super excited and I was like, I want to do that. The first time I actually seen someone dance on the ground that was in, in New York when I went to see the Christmas tree. So we go to see the Christmas tree lighting, right? And um, there's some street dancers outside on the corner and they're getting down and I'm standing around with everybody and the dude did a move and I was like, what? I want to do that for the rest of my life. Do you, do you know who that dude was? I eventually found out who these guys were, yeah. yeah. There's the Breeze team, right? Okay. So they call themselves the Breeze team. They used to dance with Karras one when, they, when he would travel. Um, but yeah, just a street hitting team. Also the float committee is another group that used to dance in the street. Um, now we're talking like nine, like mid nineties, right? So you don't, you don't see that as much. You, you do see it now, but it's just different, you know? And a lot of, um, the guys who street perform now are, they base their shows off of what these guys were doing because they're like some of the first ones, you know? So if you look at like Wayne Blitz and some of these other b-boys that were out there in the beginning, like they set the tone of what that street performance stuff was. You know, they actually still do the routines that those guys made up back in the day. It's actually a thing. Like, they just follow that whole format. Oh, wow. It's really interesting. But it was dope. It was cool. And, like, after seeing these guys dance, I was, like, just amazed, man. And after that, I just needed to learn more, you know. So I went seeking information. And, you know, being able to have access to Philly and New York at a young age, right, when I started getting hip to things. So now I'm getting into my 14, 15-year-old days. You know, I would venture out technically wasn't allowed to a lot of times my mom tried to keep me kind of sheltered my dad wasn't around it was just her me and my sister so she wasn't like sometimes wouldn't even let me go around the block you know so there were times where it's like I had to lie and then sneak out you know and go to the city like any good young adolescent exactly you know I mean I was curious as hell you know I I I didn't get involved in too much bad stuff growing up especially when I was younger that kind of happened later on when I got older which is strange but I think it's because the the lock my mom had on me when I was younger. So I was very curious as to what was going on out there, you know? Not saying she had me sheltered like crazy, but it was, she was just cautious, yeah, you know? Yeah, protecting you. Yeah. My mom's from Brooklyn. My dad's from the Bronx. So when, when they had me, they, we moved to Jersey. And then she was like, you know, don't go to the city, that type of stuff. If anybody knows New York, especially in the 90s, it's way different. Mm-hmm. It was, it's nowhere near the way it was back then. You know, even 34th Street is not what you think it is today. So it's pretty interesting that it's cleaned up a lot now, though. Yeah, yeah, so. that's that's interesting. I uh, so my my dad is from Patterson, New Jersey. Hey, I don't know if that's right. About that. yeah, yeah, that's hey, that's yeah. crazy. It's I crazy, did not right? know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so pops is from Patterson, uh, and I remember going down there one time for my grandfather's. It was like a surprise birthday party. It's like mm-hmm. I. I'd seen my dad a couple of times before that. Not, I was really young. I think I was in like second or third grade. And I remember getting there and it was like culture shock to me yeah. coming from Arizona to, to New Jersey and to For New sure. York. And I remember out here, like we would go out and we play even at a young age. And, you know, we, we parents would be like, yo, just be where, where you can hear me. But mm-hmm. they don't have to see you, but like be where you can hear me. So when we got to Patterson, I was like, yo, let's go outside and play. And they're like, eh, <laughs> they're like nah. nah, you better <laughs> relax yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I remember being like, like, why? You know, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Now, later on, I, I realized there was some, some pretty crazy things going on in the streets of yeah. Patterson. But yeah, new, you know, parts of New Jersey, um, Philadelphia, New York had a very, especially in the 90s, I would say, it was rough, you know, and there, there's areas that are still pretty 
rough, you know, mm-hmm. and you just got to kind of be careful growing up there and not get involved in too much stuff and you can, you'll be fine, you know, but yeah. a lot of people don't think about New Jersey as much. They hear so much about New York. They hear so yeah. much about Philly, but New Jersey has some real bad areas, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's through that roughness. And I mean, you know, obviously we're not going to get into the, the whole history of how hip hop was created, but it's, mm. it's through that, that, that comes this beautiful culture that we all are a part of. And yeah, you know, so. there's an energy in it, you know, mm-hmm. and even, you know, my dad being from the Bronx, like the, you know, I, picked up on his personality a lot you know I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time with him but there was something inside of breaking that I found that felt like home it was the energy in the dance that I was like I dig that and there was something about it that made me just gravitate towards it like I was like I want to do this and I feel just connected to it in that way and it's that energy in New York it really is it's the energy that that came and created hip-hop man so it's all in there yeah yeah what's up so when you so you were like drawn mm. to break dancing and so yeah. what did you did you like practice at your house yeah then? so okay th- to to find people to do it was hard at first because um so now we're talking like mid 90s now this is what's considered to be like the resurgence of breaking um because after the wave of the 80s it kind of just died down especially in america i mean outside things were like still going on and thriving in europe even Hawaii was still kind of going through through into the 90s. But, you know, mainland America, just America in general, just was like not cool anymore. It was like old or something. Because I remember doing it in a couple of places and people looking at me like, are you crazy? Like, yo, that's so old. Like, what are you doing? You know, but that's also how I started to meet who people who became my mentors and people who I found out were doing it in the 80s or even in the 70s, as far back to the 70s. And could be like, yo, if you're going to do it, I can show you how mm. to get down, you know. So I was meeting people in my neighborhood. Um, you know, there's this guy named Fast Eddie. We called him Fast Eddie, but he owned a hair salon in Clifton, New Jersey, right? So I went to Clifton High School. My mom was like, you're going to go to, <laughs> you're going to try to get you the best school in the area, right? She was not trying to get me in Passaic or Patterson. She was like, we're going to Clifton. You're going to Clifton High. We actually lived a bit uh, too far out, too. So they wouldn't, like, bust me or anything. We had to lie about our address mm. just so I can go to the school. Anyway, so I went. Um, but I remember walking home one day down Clifton Avenue and I find this place called Headspins and sure enough there's this dude in there and he calls me inside he's like yo come in and I was like alright so I go in and like when I started dancing like things just started happening really quickly like kids would talk about it like it was such a different thing for people so it's like I wouldn't say I was famous in school but it's like people knew they were like oh that's the dancing kid it was just like that's what you got called plus anytime that I learned something I would come back to my, my city and show everyone like everyone in Clifton, I remember going to the community center in Clifton community and just like teaching all these dudes how to break. And I only been breaking for like a month, but I'm like, yo, check this move I learned. And they're like, they could do it better than me. But I'm like, yeah, all right, show this. Like and I'm showing them all this stuff. It was crazy. But um, yeah, so I walked back home and this guy called me into the salon. He's like, yo, why don't you come in here? He's like, yo, I heard you break whatever. He goes to the back, puts on the Mexican, which is a record, comes back out starts top rocking and I'm like what and then and he's like yo you know I used to break back in the day anyway I got to know that guy hung out with him and he became like a good mentor to me because during my work study program in high school he was like why don't you work here at the hair salon so you don't have to get like a job job I'll pay you the same amount you would anywhere else 
I get to wash like Puerto Rican moms' hairs and shit. It was awesome. Like it was dope. <laughs> I would like be back there massaging their heads and stuff and be like, "Is this good? Is this good?" Yeah, a really unique experience there. So it was tight. <laughs> Y'all can't see the uh, hand motion that just. No, nah, yeah, it was. Uh, I got it down. That was a hella unique turn of the story. Yeah, sorry. I got lots of stories, but that's just one of them. But anyway, yeah. So that that was it. Like after that, I started to. You know, find more people. Eventually, it, uh, it led me to the Bronx. I had to go to the Bronx. There's a Hunts Point Community Center there. And uh, I met Crazy Legs, and the rest is history. I just rolled up, um, talked to him, and uh, next thing you know, uh, he just became, like, a very big person in my life after that. But, you know, I took it took me to get there to find it, you know, and I was just, like, on a mission. I remember getting there and just not knowing where the hell I was, and there was no Google Maps and nothing like that. It wasn't even Google Google. So I couldn't even find <laughs> shit, you know what yeah. I mean? So I was like, I just eventually um, fell into it. It's just strange how that happens, but it does. And it's so powerful um, by taking a step forward into something that you, you'll realize that you start to you start to manifest your, your you know, whatever's going to happen next, like, say your fate or whatever that is. But like, once you start actually taking those steps forward, things do happen. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, a lot of people don't don't necessarily buy into this kind of uh mystical metaphysical kind of I don't believe thought that. pattern i don't believe of, none of that you don't believe none of that no. but yeah man when you're out there you know i always say and i've said it numerous times my favorite book is the alchemist and it mm, talks about yeah. you know when you want something with all your heart the universe will conspire in favor to make it happen that's it and but the key is is that you have to first want it and then you got to start taking those steps Boom. and that's the hardest part is taking those steps yeah. so so okay uh you are you're how old when you meet crazy legs 15 16 15 16 yeah. you walk into this community center in the bronx yeah you just walk up to this legend did you know who he Walked was in. uh i had no i didn't actually get hip to knowing who legs was until a couple of years later almost so i i just remember like and this is this is around this time already we're starting to like hang out so he would like come to jersey to pick me up well he lived in jersey at the time but he would come to where my house was pick me up and take me to the city and he exposed me to hip hop and everything else that was going on. It was crazy. Like we we just driving through the city with this guy. People would like be in their cars and be like, yo, crazy legs. And like they just know him. And I'm thinking like this guy politician or like I don't understand what he does. But you know, he's that famous in that city. It's really crazy. So it was like I didn't know until later on exactly who and what he's done in his life. You know, and, and then so long ago prior to when I was even born. So I had no clue. Um, and then thank God for like the Internet. Eventually later on, I started to really. Well, Google so, did. Yeah. So it's weird. I'm, I'm present. I was life. learning more about him even it's even AOL. through the years. You know, I still learn stuff about the guy. I mean, you know, one person's lifetime, especially when things start to move. They do so many things. And he's one of those guys, you know, so it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So when he started picking you up, what was mom saying? Uh, he had the, okay, so I remember. I actually remember the first time he called my land. Like we had a landline, right? There's no cell phones and shit. So, I my room was in the basement of our house. So I remember one time my mom opened it. She used to yell down at me all the time. So one time she opened the door and she was like, "Tony," I was like, "What?" She's like, "Some guy named Crazy Legs is on the phone." And then she goes, "What that type of name is Crazy Legs?" And I was like, "Just all right, I'm coming up." So I run up and I'm talking to him, and he's like. So this is like one of the one of the first things that I ended up doing with him. This is more towards like when I was turning 17. Uh, when I when I mean by like 
what we did like kind of as a crew, I guess. I wasn't down on Rocksteady until much later, but like he started inviting me to things. But one of the first things I ended up doing that I had to ask permission for was uh, a Moby video. So we, <laughs> we did a video with Moby one time and he, he called my house and was like, yo, I'm gonna come get you, but you know, I need you all day. And I was like, oh man, I don't know, you know, so. He came over and sat down with my mom. They eventually talked about baseball. And then after that, she was like, take him. <laughs> and he started talking about the Yankees and all this stuff. And then after that, it was a wrap. So they found some connection. And he, I remember him telling me in the car, he's like, yo, you're lucky the Yankees, your mom's a Yankees fan, because otherwise I, I don't think I would have got you out the house. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was his way of like, you know, being cool with my mom. My mom felt more comfortable with him taking me. And we were there all day shooting. You know, that was like one of the first jobs I ever got, especially as a dancer. And I remember coming home and looking at the money that I made, and I was like, yo, like, I was bugging. I was like, I don't even make this in, like, months of work. I was like, I made it in one day, and I was tripping. You know how many really Puerto Rican moms' hairs you got to wash to make that kind of oh, money? Oh, man, that's at what I'm saying. Salon? I mean, it's a little more fulfilling at the end of the day, but it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it was dope. So, so, you, so, you, so you meet Crazy Legs. Uh, yeah. He starts mentoring you. Uh, at what point do you, because you said you didn't, you didn't get down with Rocksteady until later on. Right. Uh, when, when did that kind of happen, and how, and how did that happen? Okay, so that didn't happen. I, don't, I wasn't officially put down until 2005. So uh, when I started interacting with Legs, this is like 96, right? Okay. Um, we started getting you know, more involved, like 97, 98 with the crew and everything and all that stuff. And then we had a falling out probably about 99, 2000. And then I ain't see him again for a couple of years. You and Crazy Legs had a falling out. Yeah, me and Crazy Legs and just like me in general. Like I just did a lot of dumb shit once I got to the age of 20. You know, I, I went to college, which was great. Um, he even encouraged me to go to school. He was like, you gotta go to school. Um, I ended up going to the Art Institute of Philadelphia. And I just, I don't know, I just got involved with a lot of stupid stuff. I'm not gonna get too much into that. But doing that and trying to get through college and understanding like my life growing up was like hard. So I just went through all types of weird shit. Had a falling out with pretty much almost everybody around me at that time. Um, and I stopped dancing too. I just didn't do shit after a while. You know, I stopped doing the things that actually made me happy. And I started realizing that later on. And then once, I did realize that I was like, oh, I'm back, you know? And then I ended up seeing Legs again in 2005 in Philly. So he came to Philly to do a battle and we ended up battling each other. And after the battle, he like hugged me. He's like, dog, I miss you. Like, I don't know what's up. And then after that, it was, that was it. And he put me down pretty much, I think that night or the next day, something like that. So it was crazy. So you were, you were how old? At that time? Yeah. 24. 24, so 24 is when you, when you got put down with Rocksteady. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very cool. Um, I love, it's interesting, right? So I grew up in, in Phoenix, I, I said that. Um, in the 90s, hip hop culture to me, uh, my extent of knowledge of hip hop culture was gangster rap. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that to, to me, the MC, like I knew, I, I'm not gonna lie, I'll show you these pictures, right? I had to be like maybe nine, 10, mm -hmm. and my mom, I, you know, shout out to my mom, she bought me like the, the windbreaker pants and you know and and i had no, but I, I was like i i, I guess i must have knew something about breaking to ask sure. for him my mom yeah, was yeah, just yeah. like oh these are cool right <laughs> i don't remember that you know what i mean but um it's interesting because if i and we've talked about this the gang culture right so yeah. i grew up in like gang culture and like gangster rap and things like that mm -hmm. and to hear you know it, it's very interesting when you're like i got i got a uh 
put in or put down with Rockstar. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I was just like, I just keep in it's my mind, I just keep it like, it's very gang-like. For sure. But it's like a musical. Because like, yeah. to get put into a gang, you got to get the shit beat Beating out of in. you. Yeah, you battle in. You, you know, battle that's, that's in. That's how you, you know? get into most crews, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you battle in. And was it, uh, was it like, did they ask you if you wanted this to happen? No, or? What, what was interesting is like when uh, around that time, um, Lex had a lot of new members of Rocksteady down and he was still pushing, still doing his thing, still getting the crew together. Um, and some of them were from the West Coast also. I didn't know who they were. And they were there that time that we battled. And then, you know, they were like, yo, who's this, who's this dude? And he's like trying to explain it to them. But we have such history already, you know, mm-hmm. by 2005, I've known him for 10 years already. You know, and I, he's known me since I was a kid. So it was like, he was like, listen, you guys just got to agree with me on this one. Like, you got, he's a good one. Like, we got to, we got to get him into the crew. So, you know, even in the beginning, a lot of the newer members or other people weren't really like down with it. You know, even for, for me, they were just like, mm, we don't know who you are, but they also don't know our history. So it's like, this is how it goes, though. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, but you're from like Florida and you're like from California. So how would you know? How would you know? You weren't out here, you know, prior to the Internet, like if you didn't see it, it didn't exist. You know what I'm saying? Pretty much. So, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on in New York. I mean, there's even a ton of B-boys in the 90s that I think are so dope and had a very short lifespan. Um, Well, they're alive, but I'm just saying in in their dance world, you know, had a very short span. uh, And you won't see them because there's no footage of these guys. There's no like we weren't recording that much of all the events that we were doing, you know, and things would happen just in such spontaneous situations that you wouldn't have a camera available like we do now on your phone. You totally know? different now. So it's just, man, there's so many names. And I'm trying to find some of these, some of these people too, just to kind of like maybe tell their story at some point, you know, cause there's a lot of dancers on the East coast, man. That I wish people would know about that. We don't have any information on. Yeah. So, I don't know if you're going another direction, but I'm wondering when your visual art mm-hmm. started getting married with the b-boying, like okay, nice. what happened? So, uh, okay, from the comic books, I always mention that because that's just a big part of my um, understanding of some things. Uh, I would say uh, the use of color, uh, movement inside the, the images and stuff like that. Um, and then naturally seeing so much graffiti growing up was also a thing. I don't consider myself a graffiti writer because the circumstances in which, you know, anyway, the way you can get in trouble writing graffiti is not something that I was into. I love the idea of it, um, but I won't go around telling people I'm some hardcore graffiti writer because yeah. I'm not, you know, because I know what that entails. It's almost like if I called myself a b-boy, but I never battled in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I, I understand it in the same type of way. So. I don't say that, but I, I do say I'm definitely influenced by that. You know, I learned also from some really great graph writers who have actually done the work, you know. So, um, okay, so here, going back to the hair salon. So I'm sitting in the hair salon, and I'm massaging some girl's head, right? And she <laughs> she starts talking about breaking. And I'm like, what do you know about breaking? And she's like, well, I heard you a B-boy, whatever. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, you know, my boyfriend's coming in here. He writes graffiti. I'm like, oh, that's tight. Anyway. He comes to the shop, I meet him, it's a guy named Kel First, he's an old school graffiti writer from back in the day, and we just start talking. Now, from comic books kind of led me into like, you know, trying to understand how to do different ways of drawing and design. Um, Computers were kind of a thing, but it was like, I couldn't get access to too much of that, you know? There were some kids that were on Photoshop way ahead of me and stuff like that, that I was like, oh my God, what is this, you know? So I didn't really know how to draw on the computer yet, but I was, thinking 
in that way. And this is what he told me when I first met him. I don't know what that meant at that time. But he was like, hey, listen, I got a website. I'm building these things. Maybe you can come check this stuff out. Anyway, go to the city to meet this guy, Kel First, who just happens to be some, I don't know who he is either, but this dude is like, anyway, if you ask any writer, he's the man. So I go there, uh, Jersey City, you know, also by his crib, and he's showing me stuff, and we're sitting down sketching, drawing. He's got a website showing me stuff. Um, and that was kind of like my introduction, I would say, to uh, understanding that all, all art and also just in general visual art is connected because I didn't know how to do any of the stuff that he was trying to get me involved with, but he told me that I could. So it was that experience there that led me to think about maybe I can do design, that's why I went to school. Mm. Um, and then looking what he was, he was like, you know, I helped him create some buttons and stuff and, and interfaces and whatever for, you know, his, his websites and whatever. And I was like, this is cool. So when I started uh, looking at colleges to go to, when I went to the Arts, Art Institute, I saw that they had a degree that kind of worked with all these types of things. You know, they called it a computer science degree. And this was like kind of like the first time they slapped all these ideas together. So you learn flat print, you learn web design, you learn a bit of 3D Studio Max and Maya. And these are like new programs that are coming out that like, even that we didn't have teachers for this stuff. I mean, we were all sitting around a book, I remember in one class and learning like ourselves. This is in an institution, what? by the way. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other story. But anyway, yeah, that's how I kind of got into the visual art stuff. And then graffiti is just kind of there. It just kind of leaks into some of the stuff that I'm doing. And once I started breaking like full on, you know, hip hop just influenced every little thing that I was doing. And I tried to put it into whatever I got involved with, you know, because that is the lens I see things. That's the language I speak. So I just try to put it in. Um, to whatever whatever I'm doing, music, visual, or dance. So, um, so before before so you had had that period where you went to went to college, right? Yeah. And then you said you kind of stopped doing a lot of the things that you loved, and you kind of got lost for a minute. Yeah. Was there any moment where you were doing your visual art, where you were in school, but that hip hop component or that graffiti art like wasn't present like did you have like a finding yourself phase in yeah art? I think anything that uh, involved um, my dance or or graffiti was not a thing anymore you know or I just kind of avoided it after a while but I got to learn all the computer programs that I needed to learn and I started learning how to do some real design which was great um, and then I found my love for music on a whole nother level during that time it was a low point in my life, but it was a high point in terms of all the record shops at that time in Philly where I, I freaking went through everything, you know? Now, as, as a b-boy, like when I started coming out, you know, to jams outside of my area in the 2005-ish, you know, time, and people used to be like, yo, how do you know this song so well? During that period of time, I was studying music so heavy that I went through every record in these shops, looked at the artwork, which inspired me all over again, that were on the record covers, you know, listening to every song on the albums and trying to, and bought all of them. I had a ton of records in my house at a time. And then I found something else. I found another layer that I guess maybe was missing at the time. And then when I started inviting dance and stuff like that back into my life, again, it became full circle. So now hip hop now is a, is a whole thing for me. Now I have music, understanding, I have visual understanding, I have dance. And um, 
And that was the aha moment once that happened. But I went through that phase. I learned computer programs and I learned music. That's pretty much what happened during those three, four years of like my putting everything else down, you know, which was great. And I actually encouraged like other dancers, like when they asked me, how do you know songs? How do you do this? I say, well, take some time away maybe, you know, maybe don't practice today and go listen to some music, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? I mean, there's only so much time in the day that you can do stuff. And then when you want to be multifaceted like that, things start moving in these increments, you know, like you'll do dance for a while and then you put it down and you do art for a while. And I guess that experience taught me to be able to do that and be comfortable with saying, I'm gonna put this aside for a couple of weeks. And it actually makes you build the love for it more. So when you go back to it, you're, you're more excited about it because you haven't done it in a while. So it's pretty cool. It also, yeah. me, sorry. No, go, <laughs> so, no, I love it. It also seems to really give you a clear voice like as an artist like i think sometimes especially like emerging artists they're maybe trying to find who they are as an artist and mm. what their message is and what exactly they're trying to communicate with their art and it seems like your message is like really refined and really clear because you it sounds like you've really figured out what you needed to do to get to that point and it is super multidisciplinary and it just the message is there and there's like no question about what your intentions are so yeah. yeah and i took time you know and and it's cool because uh, you know a lot of hip-hop you see now the, i mean these kids are young they don't know what their message is and they keep saying they're like selling these things to people like oh i just hope i touch you know one or two people out there and that's literally all you're doing because you don't really even know what you're doing yet you know and i feel I feel bad for a lot of them. They're going like gung-ho and like totally all out there and like crashing and burning at the same time, depending on what they're involved in. But like they're going headfirst in this, what they understand uh, to be inspiration, but they, they have not figured out what that is yet. They haven't figured out what they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. Like luckily I didn't really start publicly showing off my artwork until I was 25. So already like, that's why when I started coming out dancing, people were like, yo, where, where, you know, where did you come from? But what they didn't know is I was already dancing for 10 years. You didn't see my, my time of development, you know. I actually had a time of development. So I, I was happy for that, too, because nobody's seen any of the early stuff I was doing. <laughs> so trash. This is the beginning, you know. But I think that's important, you know. And Philly has this thing about it, too. Like, you know, especially graffiti-wise, like, you don't get on a wall until you have a fresh tag. Like, don't even try it. You know, there's also there's also a time there was an understanding of that maturity that came with your art in Philadelphia that you just don't show up if you're trash. Like you just just don't even try it. <laughs> you know? Makes sense. So you talk a lot about like artists these days and, you know, finding yourself and things like that. And I know mentorship mentorship is, is important to you. Uh, what like what what is what, does Rocksteady do anything or do you personally do anything in terms of mentorship uh, as it pertains to, because I know you're also very interested in preserving the culture of hip hop, which I think is important, you know, because I mean, hip hop's so, so large now, yeah. like, you know, um, and there's always like the old heads fighting with, the, you know, the young cats <laughs> and, and things like that. But yeah, speak to mentorship and the preservation of what you believe hip hop to be. Um, I think that's a, if I would say so now, just an old school mentality also, mm -hmm. you know, and if you didn't come up around, uh, you know, I guess older heads who did it, then you wouldn't even think that way. You know, there's a lot of kids that also, the minute they get kind of shut down by somebody or an older head, uh, they're very emotional these days. 
you know, and it doesn't motivate them. It kind of shuts them down. And then also they're like, well, you know, F this old head, I'm just going to do it myself, which is fine, but you're missing a lot of information there. Like old head only knows tough love because that's how he got into his stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a bit of shame on the older people too and how they treat the younger generation because the younger generation is very sensitive. That's just how they're getting involved with things. And they're getting things very quickly. So if you cannot give that to them quickly, they're uninterested very fast. They're like, I can't do this in five seconds. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, and that's where the old head needs to step in and say, well, let me show you something, get down and do it, and then be like, you know how long it took for me to get that? And the crazy part is, is like most of the kids that are getting men mentored now, like they're where their mentors were in half the time because they, they got schooled on those processes very quickly. Like when I first started learning how certain moves, I would totally hurt myself. <laughs> like to the point where I almost ended my career early because I didn't understand the mechanics of certain moves. We understand it so well now that when we show a kid, he has it in, in no more than two weeks. And he's doing moves that are way higher in level than we ever even achieved in our generation. So it's interesting. But that needs to happen. In breaking, it's a little different. Uh, sometimes in music, you're not getting the mentorship, you know, especially now because kids can very easily stream music. So people are getting followings with very generic sounding music, and that's fine. Um, but then where does that go? You can't become popular too fast because you're not understanding of what that means and where that's going. Like I said, the crash and burn, what's happening to a lot of kids now. Um, five seconds of fame, you know, what? what's going on? But it's hard to see that. And, and we're in a very unique time right now because now the maturity of hip hop is actually happening. I mean, this thing itself is only like 40 years old, you know? So we are seeing people who are in their 50s now making albums. That's crazy. And, and popular music, not just like stuff that you're like, oh, that's, that's cool. They're selling records, you know? Yeah. We have Jay-Z's now. We have Crazy Legs now. Like you mentioned before we, got, we went live, you were talking about you saw a battle with legs. That was only a year ago. This guy's in his 50s battling. Like, we didn't even think that was possible. Half the reason why I stopped breaking by the time I turned 20 is because that was not a thing. So I stopped. And I felt depressed because I was like, I feel like I can keep doing this. But it wasn't a thing. You weren't old and b-boying like this. <laughs> it's just not a thing, you know what I'm saying? So we're starting to break barriers and we're starting to like unlock these um, or, or get out of these boxes that we created for ourselves. So it's very interesting. But unfortunately, a lot of people are going to get shot going through that first door. And then that's what happens to the first person that walks through. So the young generation and the older generation, eventually, I'm sure they'll start connecting, but it's going to be a while mm -hmm. until they figure it out. But mentorship is key. I'll just finalize with that. It's important. You got to know where you're coming from to know where you're going. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had some amazing mentors. Oh, my gosh. I can't even. Yeah. How I met everybody, too, is just crazy, you know. But, you know, they're all very closely connected to each other. And that's the thing, too, about hip-hop back then compared to now. They all knew each other. They either grew up with each other you know, or in, in some way through the industry or through the business, they worked with each other. Now we're so spread out. There's so many of us, you know, it, it may not happen, you know. And I'm talking more like, you know, if a MC was to meet a B-boy, you know, they knew each other then. They probably went to school with each other. Now, if there's a famous MC, even in my own city, we probably wouldn't even meet. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It is. Because where would we go? 
you know? We don't even have like a place where people are emceeing and breaking in the same place. That's not a thing, you know? Not yet, not yet. <laughs> not yet, exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking though when you were telling your story was even like this like cha- these chance encounters where you're yeah. just walking by a salon and he's like, come on inside, let me give you a job. Mm-hmm. Like also all of these, these things, like does that happen anymore? And it does in those areas again. Mm. Like if you walk down the street in Arizona, people will be like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. It's fucking hot, you know? Why so it's not you? like you're just gonna walk down the street and like one light to the other light is like a mile. So like, like fuck that, you know what I'm saying? It's way different. So that's the thing too, like geographically, it's important to know like how things were in the tri-state area. Like mm-hmm. you can literally run into people, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, yeah, it's different. So, so let me ask you this question, uh, because speaking about that, obviously understanding geographically the difference between the tri-state area and Arizona, Phoenix, things like that. Um, why, how and why did you end up here? And um, more importantly, and, and, I, and I mean this in, in a very respectful way, like, why do you stay? Because oh, nice. we really don't see that often. For sure, yeah. Um, okay, I first traveled here with legs in, oh man, it might have been 2005. It might have been shortly after I got down. And we came for the Fury Styles anniversary. Wow. So he was a judge, and then he was like, do y'all want to go? And there was like four or five of us that came from, uh, two from LA and then like three from the East Coast. Um, but yeah, we, at that time, we were like kind of rolling deep to places because like, again, resurging the whole thing about dancing, but then also the crew itself, like Rocksteady was something we needed to build up again. So a lot of the young members, if like Legs would get a job, we would tag along, you know, we'd go to a jam and, and dance and whatever. So I came here and, and, and everything that I thought about the desert is, is how I had the view of this place. <laughs> like we showed up and I was like, what, where, what, you know? <laughs> Cactus. Yeah, yeah, oh God, it was like, it's so hot and this, what the, and so it was crazy. But um, yeah, I went to the jam um and like there were a few prospects in this area that crazy legs was like yo i'm looking at so-and-so i'm looking at so-and-so right so there was a b girl named bonita and he was like yo she's dope i think i'm putting her down whatever so we were like oh where is so we're checking her out dancing she was dope she was also cute so i was like that's what's up (laughs) (laughs) and uh sure enough you know we got involved and we probably shouldn't have because that was not the thing to do when you're in the same crew uh, so that's don't, how that's, don't dip your pin in the company exactly <laughs> never works out well it doesn't oh my bad I moved the, the headphones um but that was kind of then my connection to coming out here eventually right so I started talking to her and we got serious and I was like yo I'm gonna move also being in the area in Philadelphia that I was at that time it was a good idea for me to get out of there mm-hmm. so it was a you know a romance situation, but also, you know, a safety move, I would say. And when I did that, you know, my life changed. It really did. Like coming out here, um, I started working at SEC. So I got a job like teaching dance, which is not a thing that I was used to. I did like little workshops here and there, but I didn't understand like that on a university or a class level, um, which I thought was cool. So I had experience in school already, but as a designer, but I never thought about teaching dance like that, you know. Um, and I needed to work, which was hard for me to figure out when I first came here. Cause like you could walk down the street and find a job where I was from. Here, like you have to go somewhere. 
And I'm like, I don't know even what I would do. Like, you can literally get a job sweeping floors in New Jersey, right? Mm -hmm. If you walk by a place, knocked on the door, it's like, yo, I need a job. Like, you guys have any work here? And I wouldn't try that here because I don't know what the hell's going on in Arizona. <laughs> anyway, I, made, I eventually made it through battling is kind of how I started getting work. So I started working outside almost the minute I moved here. I just, like, was going ham on the dance shit because I was like, I need to do something. So I was like, well, I can battle. So that's what I did. I started killing everyone I could possible just to, you know, make it. And I did. So I was like, but I eventually came back out here about four years ago uh, to pursue my degree, to get my master's, um, which was pretty awesome. So I met Melissa Britt along the way. I met uh, Angela Rosencrantz from SEC, who happened to be my um, supervisor at the time when I was teaching there. And, you know, they were kind of in cahoots with working with the school and being like, look, if we get this guy out here, it's going to be a good look, um, you know, in terms of dance and how we're thinking about moving this urban program that we have now. That was, I was like, what, you have an urban program? That's unheard of, you know. So ASU's uh, interest in starting something new and then with my background, it kind of worked. And, you know, I got scholarship money to come and I was able to make it work. So I was like, boom, I'm coming back. So I came back out here and I stay because I love it. Because now that I'm involved with music a lot more, I'm involved with just my own personal physical health more, I like being in places like this. You know, if I go to a bigger city, it's distracting. There's too much going on. There's just like all the stuff you have to deal with outside of just being a hermit. And I love being a hermit. So that's why I moved to Arizona. <laughs> Especially summertime here. People, hermit. people don't come here. Uh, to uh, and I, I don't want to, you know, take a dump on our city because I love our city, right? But I, I, I always find it interesting when people come from like these bigger cities, and you know, like you're always like, if you want to make it in in this industry, you got to go to L.A. or you got to go to Chicago, right? And, like all the and you know, and oftentimes I get a little jealous, you know, it's like, <laughs> man. Um, but it is true because we we are, you know, oddly one of the largest cities in the country. But because of the way we are geographically and and also because you could die in, in the summertime. <laughs> You're walking down the street. <laughs> for sure. Drink walking water. Walking around, sure. yeah, drink water. Uh, you do have to kind of become a little bit of a hermit and uh, mm -hmm. you can focus. I, I know for me personally, now that I'm older and I have a family, um, I wouldn't dare think about leaving because this mm -hmm. is a place where you could like, build some things and, and you know, there's a, a fresh canvas out here. Absolutely. You know, and there's a lot of support um, for some of these things that are happening. So and that's what I saw after a couple of years of being in school here. Yeah. I was like, this is a this is a place that you can really get some ideas out. Yeah. So, Build yeah, something. I'm hoping to stick around. It yeah. all depends. I have new things coming up, so I might have to get out of here, but I'm hoping to stay around. So you finished your MFA in 17? Is that right? Yes. Okay. So, and then now you're, are you teaching and then you're still dancing? Tell me what you're doing. Yeah. Now. So, uh, still traveling a bunch. Um, and I have an online class at ASU right now. And online dance class? Yeah. Oh, no. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a visual art class, which is cool. Um, so I teach like typography, but it's mainly based around the Typo, idea of graffiti. Typography. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Tomas can't read. <laughs> So I got that going on. Um, I'm supposed to be teaching at SEC starting next semester, two classes on hip hop. So, um, yeah, still doing my thing. So I've been like, for most of my life doing this, why not business, I, I call it, because it's not like I had many jobs growing up. 
you know, I had the salon and I had a restaurant that I worked at. And those are probably two out of the three jobs I could remember that I had that actually paid me. Other than that, I've always made money under the table. Wow. So when it comes to uh, trying to be, I hate the word entrepreneur. And I think it's funny sometimes people use it too much. But like learning how to market yourself and get yourself out there has also been something that I think I have helped contribute to a lot of dancers because when I started moving forward with my dance career, I had kick-ass flyers. I had ridiculously animated GIF things that I would put on Facebook and be like, yo, come check me out at this place. <laughs> I had videos. People were like, who made that video? You know, I did all that shit myself because I learned how to do it in school. So it gave me a one-up on everybody else. But then also I learned how to just like... Um, well, for one, do it for myself helped me to now learn how to do it for other people, you know, so now I can show them how to do it, you know, so that's a part of what's coming back to me now with the school that I'm, stuff that I'm doing in school. So I'm able to put this in a curriculum and show people and say, hey, look, this is one way you can market yourself. I'm trying to teach dancers how to even edit just their own dance music. I mean, it's just something that seems very simple, but like that little bit of knowledge puts you ahead of a lot of people. And um, when you start creating on those levels and you start mixing and, you know, doing, you know, multiple art, art disciplines back and forth, it creates new things. And you start thinking differently, which means now your work is something different to the world. So um, I'm thankful for, like, the fact that I could not get jobs and it forced me to, like, have to come up with these things, you know. Mm -hmm. So here comes the cleverness again, where I'm like, oh, I got to think of something quick, you know. <laughs> and my East Coast hustle just led me to, you know, getting it eventually international, which is awesome. So I think entrepreneurship and hustling are kind of like interchangeable. Oh, That's yeah. why I don't like that word. I like hustle better. Yeah, hustle, man. Like Hustlepreneurship. Hustle has that, that <laughs> negative connotation to it, which, know. you know, for, sure. for me is, it does. I like it, you know what I mean? But. Um, I mean, but if you if you have sold drugs or know someone who sells drugs, you have to really have an entrepreneurial mindset. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, no, I'm, really. I mean, if and you're dealing true. with people who are addicts, most likely or not, and it's a certain clientele, you also have to understand. So it's very interesting the knowledge that comes from that, which is why a lot of the rap business entrepreneurs today sold drugs before because they learned that from the street. Yeah, it's, Tra it's transferable skills. It's it transferable totally skills. It's, it's economics 101. No I mean, doubt. Uh, I, so know I don't it. support that though either. So you know. yeah. <laughs> don't sell drugs to learn entrepreneurship. No, nah, I, well, no, no, I mean, that. you know, teach them. You never know. These kids just listen to whatever and they just do it. So. No, nah, I mean, you got to understand. I mean, with the, we'll, we'll end that uh, on this note is that, you know, sometimes those most folks that I know who 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 hustled who sold drugs, mm. they they had they did it out of uh, that was that was their only option. Mm. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah. most people don't grow. I mean, some people could be grow up in like this middle class, you know, yeah. family, and they're like, I think I'm gonna sell weed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, nah, well, you know, you there's know. no other there's no other examples of stuff, and that's why kids go to drugs. Yeah, like people in this, like if you were from Arizona, for example, right? Most likely, if one of your favorite rappers comes from here, he's gonna tell you that he sold weed or some mm -hmm. stupid shit like that. But if, uh, <laughs> you know, if your famous rapper friend of yours was uh, maybe at home making guacamole and fucking yeah. jarred that shit and sold it, he'd probably make the same amount of money. Yeah. So there's like, it's not just about drugs, it's just about selling something in general. And yeah. how do you package it? How do you market it? 
um, is something that could happen. But, you know, get creative. Don't just go straight for drugs because that's the only thing you think sells. Yeah. There's definitely a demand for guacamole. Hell yeah. 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 Especially here in the Southwest. Especially. Um, I got a, I got a question. We're getting to that point uh, in the in the podcast. We'll, we'll be wrapping soon. Yeah. Right. Before we started, I, I asked, always out of respect, is there anything uh, that is untouchable, and uh, you said no. Yeah. Uh, one thing, and this is just uh, this because we've had many conversations. A lot of what I'm hearing today, I'm hearing for the second time, and it's just as good and it's just <laughs> as inspiring. But mm-hmm. one thing that I'm curious about um, is, and this is one of the critiques that I've had of hip hop culture, um, mm-hmm. and and I don't know that it's fair. It's just my personal opinion and, and feelings. Is that um, sometimes where does why not? or Tony, whoever wants to answer, mm-hmm. uh, where, where do you stand politically? Do you, do you, mm-hmm. do you get down with politics? Um, and how do you feel that hip hop can be an agent um, or a platform or a vehicle to kind of impact the world from a political standpoint? Do you, is that important? Uh, just can you speak on that for a little bit? Yeah, uh, I'd especially, there's a great question for now for the now moment of why not. Mm-hmm. I would have probably told you a few years ago, no, um, because I really wasn't. I wasn't uh, even paying attention to politics. You know, I was just trying to get money. So that was, <laughs> you know, politics had nothing to do with me at some point, even though it probably did. I just didn't, wasn't aware of it, you know? Um, now I would definitely say yes, because uh, also Crazy Legs has been very political in terms of the way he's moving in the past few years. Um, if, if the listeners do not know, uh, Legs has done a lot of work for Puerto Rico since the hurricane, and he found that his voice is bigger than just hip hop. Um, but hip hop is the one who is, gave him that voice, you know. So he's realizing through his voice and stuff he's done um, with dance and with hip hop in general that he's been able to do probably more work on the island than even the U.S. government has at this point in terms of reform. And uh, Seeing my mentor kind of go through that process has also made me think I'm getting older. I'm 37 now. Um, so politically, I would say I am starting to watch and learn, take notes, you know, and think about positioning myself and doing something a little more than just my art at some point and how the art can then make a larger impact. Um, so I can't, I don't have the vision for that right now, but I feel myself starting to make the changes or make the steps to start to get into something like that. You know, because I realize that the more, you know, I mean, art reaches so many people so fast, especially now, like with social media and that kind of thing. And through traveling, I've met a lot of people and they tell me certain things like, oh, I've seen this and that's dope. And so people are watching, you know, and at first it freaked me out, but then now I'm like, oh, okay. That's cool. But then I'm like, how am I going to treat that? You know, what am I going to do with that? And I think those are the questions in my mind right now. And it's eventually going to lead me to something. And then getting into the university is also, I think, a political statement for me. Because I do believe education is a key thing to, you know, first of all, America. Mm -hmm. And we need better education. So, like, one of the things that I'm preparing on doing is creating curriculums to help kind of, like, get a better uh, education in this university that we're spending how much thousands of dollars to attend, you know, bringing those costs down maybe at some point, figuring out ways to get education to people who cannot afford it. I think that's one of the biggest issues that we do have. 
so things are not affordable. Um, and then getting just the good one while you're actually there in the process. You know, like I said, we were reading out of a book in one of my schools at one point, and I'm like, yo, I'm paying $1,000 for this class, to read out. and the book is $30. Why yeah. don't I just buy the book and go home? Yeah. You know, really so that, yeah, so that I'm, I'm leaning more towards the educational route, I would say. Um, but I do want to, I do want to make some pretty big steps into my forties. Yeah. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. That's, that's good. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect with that answer. Uh, I, I want to say that, um, I respect that and, and, you know, I've already had mad respect for you. And I think that's important, you know, um, because you're right, you know, education is huge and, and as artists, I always feel like, um, and that's why one of my biggest critiques of, of hip hop culture, you know, it, uh, is that there's all this crazy stuff going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, this is just my assumption that, you know, you go to these places and it's like all they care about is like working on their craft and like, mm-hmm. you know, doing a jam and, and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's all this stuff going on in the world and, and, and sure, don't let it consume you, but like, how do you move? Um, and how do you use, you know, your platform to be able to talk about those things? Because, you know, they're there, yeah. you know? And, yeah. uh, and I think hip hop, there's a, a, a program out at the University of Madison, Wisconsin called First Wave. Um, mm. And I know a little bit about it, um, but one of the, and it's one of the only hip hop theater programs in the country. And uh, I think it was Josh Healy who said this, and if not, uh, I apologize, but either way it was dope. And it said, hip hop doesn't necessarily need more artists. It needs more doctors, it needs nice. more lawyers, yeah. it needs more yeah. teachers, you know, because hip hop is a movement, it's a culture, yeah. um, it's a lifestyle. And, and so now I'm thinking like, why are we stopping at doctors and lawyers? Like, yo, yeah. hip hop, you know, exactly. we need more hip hop senators and, right. you know, people who understand and, you know, the mentality of grassroots and mm-hmm. yeah. So, so taking, going, going off of that, taking my leadership in Rocksteady, um, I've instilled that in the younger generation that we have as a crew. Mm-hmm. They're all in school right now. They all are getting their degrees in something that has nothing to do with art, so to speak. Um, and the reason for that is is that exactly we we need more. If we're gonna have more b boys, we need more b boy doctors. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna have more, you know, b girls, we need you know th- they need to be out there in the world besides just doing this art stuff. Because also it's not something to put your money into um, if it's not gonna work out either. Mm-hmm. You need to have always a backup plan. But there's something about you know the knowledge you get from doing art and the knowledge you get from doing something else there's an art in everything you know but there's something about holding a position in the world outside of the art world that gives you a different perspective and a different knowledge that you can take into both you know like if when i look at all these older members you know and older people who are in hip-hop in general you know hip-hop itself is needs therapy you know these are people who are coming from hard situations they got themselves out of it most of the time, but they're still healing from those types of things. And the thing is, like, through their music, they're kind of reiterating this conversation, and the kids are repeating it and doing it again. So there's, some of that needs to stop at some point, you know? So through me getting my degree, and I'm the first member of my crew to have this level of degree, so I said, okay, everyone after me needs to do the same. 
you know? And then on top of that, um, what are you gonna do with that? And how are we gonna show people that we can be dope at the same time educated? And I think that's mostly people's, um, I don't know, they're scared of that. They're scared of putting something down because they feel like they're not gonna be dope anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I, I knew that after I stopped breaking for two to three years and then I came out and the world was like, oh shit, who's this guy? And I'm like, yo, I didn't, I didn't dance in like three years, but it made me know that it's not about practice all the time that makes me good, you know? Mm -hmm. And I start to realize that. So now I can say, I can put this down for a second and then it gives me the time to do all these other things. And when I get competition out of my head, it starts to become a little more enjoyable for me and then I can move in a different way because I'm not trying to just be the best and that's it. That's not the only conversation I'm having now, so it's cool. I feel like that phrase is extra appropriate here. Yeah, no, I mean, you said uh, uh, dope and educated, which mm -hmm. I, I love, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one of the brands uh, that I've been rocking with um, is sophisticatedly dope, intellectually mm. fresh. Um, That's dope. You know, yeah, it, you know, because it, it, it came from when I was trying to explain to people uh, what hip hop theater is, mm -hmm. right? You know, is that well, what what is hip hop theater? And I'm like, well, it's it's theater, but it's dope. Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, like it's intellectual. Like you're gonna get something from it, but it's not like sitting through a lecture. Right. You know what I mean? It's like an experience that is fresh. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And, and when those two, so I, I, I'm biased, obviously, but like when those two worlds can collide, mm. like literally, I think there's no stopping a person. For sure. You know what I mean? Because we live in a world where you got to be dope. Yeah. Like you got to be. Because if you're like hella smart and like intelligent, but you're like, just like dry as you're a just cracker. Corny and you're just corny. Just <laughs> corny. You know what I'm saying? Dry, dry as a cracker, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It uh, you know, you're still hella smart, but like, yeah. you don't have the, the ability to or the impact mm -hmm. to move forward. You know, you whatever it is that you are hella smart about. Yeah. So, yeah, you gotta be and and like and so many times it's like this this negative connotation to being smart to being smart. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. And we stop kids from from wanting to go further because we diss them for doing certain things. Yeah, yeah. I, nah. You know, like most of the people that I grew up with, like. I'm not known as a producer, but I make music, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I started playing the clarinet first. You know how many times I almost got beat up for walking around with a clarinet? Probably, and then I went to saxophone, which helped a little bit, but yeah. still. But the funny thing is, is that my knowledge of music theory takes me further as a producer. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of kids I know that produce. I'm not taking away the fact that they're good producers still too, but they don't know music theory. It limits your idea of understanding different sounds and if you don't know how to use that you're not you're not going to get any further yeah. you know and and because you dissed it for so long now you're old and you don't know shit and i'm sorry for you mm. you know yeah. but i never let any of that stop me which is great and i'm thankful for that you know i used to get made fun of for almost everything i did and i still do today and it's so funny because a lot of those things today are now popular <laughs> That's how it works. You know? The original hipster over yeah. here. Yeah, it's like, yo, wearing slides and socks, people used to diss me all the time. There's so much of that shit online. I wear that shit all the time. I've been wearing that. Or harachas <laughs> you know? and socks. Yeah. We were we were laughing today because I've been, uh, and uh, you saw this, but like I got me some uh, some good old authentic chanclas from my yeah. father-in-law. 
That's what's up. And, uh, <laughs> but I don't like wearing sandals without socks. Right. So I've been rocking them with socks. And, Dope. you know, people make fun of me. But, you know, it hey, is, let them it, talk. It is what yeah. it is. <laughs> but I was like, I think that might be like the uh, like that might be the brand of the podcast. Like we're going to do a photo shoot and we're just all going to wear He told me to go home and it. put my socks and sandals do on. It. And I, I was like, what? He's like, yeah, that's know. our thing. I was like, I didn't agree to that being our thing. Socks and sandals, man. <laughs> that can be your thing. Is. I support that. <laughs> I will take pictures. <laughs> I will post them on the internet. Whatever. Yeah, I used to I used to wear baggy like FUBU jeans and shit like that, you know. Um, and the thing is, like, you would have to cup the bottom, right? If you wore sneakers, you would have to like tuck them in your socks, because if you kind of let your Levi's or your jeans just like go on your sneaker, and if it's hot, let's say if you're breaking or you're dancing and you're sweating, the color will get off on your shoes. Oh, okay. So the jean, the blue, and you can't get that shit off. And sneakers are a thing, like, you know, especially yeah. on the mm-hmm. East Coast. It was like such a thing to have dope sneakers. If not, you get your ass beat. <laughs> but when the idea of the jogger came out, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something that happened in Europe and happened in Asia first. And because of my travels, I've like was already hip to certain things before it hit the States like heavy. I used to have jeans that had elastic waistband on them and people would make fun of me. They'd be like, yo, is your jeans got elastic? The fuck is that? You know? <laughs> yo, but I'm so comfortable. Yeah. Yo, what are those things on the bottom of your ankles? Yo, my jeans are not touching my shoes. And you can see the whole shoe. This is dope. Yeah. You know, there was like certain things like I knew about it. Functionality is the reason why I chose it. And they were dissing me for it. And I'm like, okay. And then now it's like the thing. And I'm like, see, y'all are crazy. But that's another thing, like, and I Fashion tell a lot of kids. Is next for you. Oh, it is. No, Just it actually have it is. To your list. No, it's on there. It's yeah. already in there. Wait till you see it. It's going to be dope. Every <laughs> once in a while, the world uh, produces folks like yourself. Because mm. I, I, I listen to what you're saying and, um, and, you know, I think about my adolescent years and just even my early 20s. And I was not that dude who, like, I was so aware of people making fun of you for for x y and z that mm. i was like yeah i don't want no no parts of that you right. know what i mean yeah. and then i hear somebody like you you're, and i'm just like man i'm so i'm just <laughs> proud of you man I'm yeah proud thanks of you, dude. i had to get some ass whoopings for him but yeah. i just didn't care you know at some point uh i just didn't care i have a very um not giving a fuck type attitude along with the curiosity so i have no worries about failing yeah you know so there may be, there, there are things that I've done that I'm like, yeah, that was whack. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like everything I did was like dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I've seen things that I'm like, okay, I won't do that shit again. You know, but it's those people that test the waters that kind of can come up with some of the newest things, you know? Well, I think of like people like Pharrell like that, right? Yep. They were making fun of his ass. Like, you won't believe, you know, when he first came out. But he's, a, you know, he sets trends. And like, the, you know, you have to go outside of the box. And if you're curious in other things, that's what happens if you stick to like the you know mediocre way we're supposed to be doing things you won't you won't really reach out so i'm yeah. feeling very inspired right now i yeah. am and that's the whole point that's the whole point of this mm-hmm. podcast and i feel extraordinarily for- fortunate that we were able to get you on Thanks, um we, we're coming to that point where we're gonna wrap it up uh, yeah. we got a couple wrap of up, wrap it up you wrap it up hey yo wrap it up <laughs> We got a uh, just just as like a staying within our framework, right? Uh, we got a couple of questions that we asked. Are these the uh, random ones? These are like the random, you got, okay, I love ran, that. Random questions. I do feel like I could 
I, there's like so many things I want to ask you about. So I let's do know. a part we two. Might, yeah, we'll have to. I mean, we can if you guys two. got time, we could record it now and just put it up another time. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a hard guy to get in here too at the same time. So. Nah, bro, I got no, no, no. This is this is gonna be my <laughs> my way of testing like my pool. Okay, I see it. I want to be able to. I want to be able to have the pool to get you back for round two. That's that's simple. Anything for you, man. I'll come back. Hey. Also, we talked about we talked about uh you know one of your crewmates who's out here, uh, Shadow. Yeah, maybe we get you and Shadow on the podcast. That would be cool, and it'd be good to talk uh, from his experience because he's one of the younger members of my crew, who also now is a full blown engineer. So yeah, he, he went to school. And did Yo, the thing. So last time That's I cool. saw Shadow, and this is just you know, and I I got mad love for Shadow. Uh, last time I saw him, he was at a jam, uh, and this cat he had on some khakis <laughs> and a and a and a button down shirt, and Look. it was tucked in. Like yeah, it was like yeah. you know what I mean. He probably I just like, got off of work. <laughs> he, probably, he probably just got out of yeah, work. You yeah. know what I mean, and came and still got in a cipher and got down. Man, this this dude yeah. is, is important. Shadow's got that engineer slash Indonesian swag. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that foreign swag. I, I like to say that he's got a uh, the coming to America swag. That's he's what got that is. coming to America swag. Yeah, yeah. We got to get Shadow on, so we'll get you back uh, for round two. That'd be uh, great. So, uh, Jen, uh, do you want? Would you want the first out. question? Sure. Uh, first question. I feel like we got like we dug into this a little bit, so I'll be okay. a little bit more specific. Right. We always ask, "What are you listening to? What are you reading right now?" Like what specifically right now is inspiring you that we might be able to go check out and also get inspired? Okay. Um, what I'm listening to right now is uh, it's kind of like in its early stages, I would say, but the beginning of a sound called Mod Bap. Um, it's modular synthesis with boom bap beats, basically. Mm-hmm. A guy named Corey Banks, um, who has the B-Boy Tech Report online, is the first person I heard use that term, Mod Bap. Um, and I'm also into it a lot i'm producing music that that is working through modular uh sound systems so basically like building a synthesizer from its components plugging away with patch cables and stuff and creating your own sounds and then putting that 90s kind of boom bap drum Mm kind of through it so that's what i'm into now so if you look up uh cory banks or a guy named ski beats is about to put out the first modular bap album on the 6th of july Mm. Um, it's called switched on bap um, which is based off of an album called Switched On Bach, which is the first time we heard um, an all-synthesized classical album. Oh, wow. word. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, so that's something that I'm yeah. super influenced by right now. I got into modular probably about five years ago. It's very expensive, and you got to learn how to really use those things. So uh, that's like the next venture at the moment. What yeah. is your go-to... <clears throat> like, if you, were, if you were in a position where you had, like, one last meal... Mm. You know, what's your go-to? Oh man, my last meal. Hmm. This is hard, man, because I love food. One. It'd be something sweet for sure. Yeah. Coffee cake. Coffee what? cake. Would I be would your want last meal? a cup of coffee and coffee cake. Dang. You know what? I've known you for a couple of years now, and I and I and I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Every time I see this dude, he's I'm got sure some every coffee. time we meet, I either have coffee or yeah. it's at a coffee shop. Yeah, and that's my thing. That, that East Coast, it's it's something about folks from the East Coast and and, and coffee. Yeah. My, my my grandparents uh they would like drink my my grandfather would drink coffee all day. That's it. Like a, a cup of coffee, I kid you not, before he went to bed. 
Okay, it's crazy. That, I'm not on that level. Yeah, he was I like, stop at about 6, 7 p.m. I can't yeah. go any further than that. Yeah, That's he, he would always put water in it, so it was like watered water down. down. But, yeah, American but yeah, he, style. He yeah. drank it. Yeah, so, all right, so coffee cake. Coffee. All right. I wouldn't even eat probably. I'd probably just drink coffee. Yeah. I feel yeah. like the coffee is like it's all about that ritual to some extent. Like, I just want to sure. have a, a pot of coffee on at all times. Just smell also, it. Also, I will make you coffee cake next time. I'll make you a coffee yeah. cake with like a legit crumble. That's what oh, we're gonna get to rat. make you come back. Oh my god! <laughs> Say I no more. I'll be I here. drink coffee in the morning, and it's it's just to expedite the uh, the Old morning yesterday. Don't do it. Don't the do morning it. Exercise the demons. <laughs> Or as as I like to say, dropping a deuce. Oh my! God. I like to say you drop knowledge. To. Dropping knowledge. knowledge. <laughs> my son, my son's two years old now, and uh, like if you have a two year old, one thing you know is they have no boundaries. Yeah. And, uh, and he learned how to open doors, mm. so he just he just walk in, and I kid you not, be like you poop, and I'm like <laughs> yeah, and he goes ugh. <laughs> and I'm like, damn right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking That's of poop, funny. what's your favorite ice cream? Oh my god. Lactose. <laughs> no, it's not unrelated at all if you got a lactose sensitivity. Yeah, so that's how you yes, connect it. <laughs> we all know a little bit more about Tomas. Yeah. I like I like peanut butter and chocolate. That's like one of my Ooh. favorite kinds. Peanut butter and cho- that's an ice cream? No, but oh. like uh There's definitely a peanut butter chocolate ice what cream I, out there. They do. So I think um what's that one chocolate place where they're like Doing all this. Oh, yeah, Cold Stone. Cold Stone. Okay, so at Cold Stone, they do have a thing called peanut butter cup perfection, but they make it with <laughs> chocolate ice cream. I don't like it with the chocolate ice cream. I like it with vanilla ice cream, but with maybe chocolate sauce. On oh, it. I can feel that. That's real. That's like a real. So peanut butter cups, vanilla ice cream, chocolate sauce, whipped cream on top. There you go. No People cherries. are very into vanilla ice cream. Yes. Yeah, so far we've had three guests and all three of them are like vanilla ice cream. Yo, vanilla's the truth. I <laughs> guess when you're like super dope, you know, you got to have some areas. It's because, you know what, I have, my, I have <laughs> a theory on vanilla ice cream. Yeah, what's the theory? It's because it's easy to mix with other ingredients. That's true. Mm. And it doesn't overpower it. If you have chocolate ice cream, chocolate is so sometimes overpowering that mm-hmm. it's like it kind of takes away from the other thing. The vanilla kind of just stands there in the background and it yeah. kind of lets those other flavors kind of come in a little bit. Yeah. I don't know, that's a theory. Some may, some people may think differently. Though. That's I have, interesting. I have a thing. for So I just recently, within the last few years, got into chocolate ice cream. Mm. We're totally off on tangents now. But um, there's this place, Florida Michoacan. It's a ice cream place. Uh-huh. Legit chocolate ice cream they make there and legit coconut ice cream. And the two, oh one scoop of each. And that's like coconut heavenly. Coconut ice cream sounds yeah. dope. Mm. We'll do that during my interview. I'll tell all you right. all about it. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we, we've reached a point. Uh, I think we can continue to go, but uh, we, we want our listeners to, to listen all the way through. You know Word. what I'm saying? Um, no listening fatigue. Listening fatigue. Uh, thank you so much for, no, thank for coming you. by. For I appreciate knowing you. I appreciate you being here, investing. Um, and yeah, man, next year we're going to be in Puerto Rico together. That's right. That's right. PuertoRockCity.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Where can the people find you? Why not ism on Instagram? I don't really mess with Facebook and all those other things. They're too much to read. <laughs> so I'm very, very approachable on Instagram. That's probably the quickest way to reach me for anything. And I have a website, whynotism.com. And that's why, not with a Y, Y-N-O-T. And the ism is I-S-M, not I-Z-M. Yeah. And yeah. on that note, we're out. Thank Peace. you. Peace. Peace.
Thank you for joining us at Wordplay Cafe, the podcast. You can find us on the World Wide Web at Creative Catalyst AZ on both Instagram and on Facebook. And you can see what's happening next on Mesa Arts Center on MesaArtsCenter.com forward slash Wordplay Cafe. You can follow me, Tomas J. Stanton, at Bird City Poet on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at SleeplessInAZ. And lastly, thank you to the Mesa Art Center and Cider Core. Peace.